0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey Podcast. This is episode 53. If this is your first time joining us for the podcast, welcome, thank you for listening. If this is not the first time and you are a returning listener, welcome and thank you for listening. My goal today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. This episode is a little different from many of our other episodes. I've got four different guests joining me. I'll speak to each of them in turn, and we're gonna be exploring today the topic of developer relations or developer advocacy. And with that, let's jump in and begin talking to our first guest. My first guest for uh, this episode of the Full Stack Jury Podcast is Jackie Grinrod. Jackie, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing excellent, and I'm really excited to be joining today. Thank you.
0: Well, I am super thrilled to have you here, and um, especially because I just love um, the story of how you got into developer advocacy, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But before we you know, get too far out of whack, let me give you a moment and kind of introduce yourself to the listeners.
1: Perfect. Um, yeah, my name is Jackie Grinrod, and I currently work as a developer advocate at HashiCorp, and previously, I worked as a DevOps engineer, mostly in the digital healthcare space. Oh, yeah, and I'm based out of Toronto, Ontario.
0: Awesome, awesome. Any, uh, you know, Twitter handles or anything you want to share with listeners oh, yeah. in case they want to follow you?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is at DevOps Jackie. It's all lowercase, no spaces or dashes. Um, yeah.
0: Okay, and uh, listeners will put that in the show notes so that you have it, um, just in case, you know, you didn't catch that. So, Great. Awesome. Well, well, Jackie, what I'd love to do to start out with, and, and I really, really appreciated the story that you shared with me when we first started talking. Um, I'd love for you to start out with just telling uh, me and the listeners how you got into developer advocacy. Like, what's your story, your your origin story, if you will?
1: Yes. Um, just a note, I guess, before I get into the story, a thing to kind of know about me is um, I'm a pretty, like, nervous individual generally, And so the way I kind of approach being scared or nervous about things is a pretty core fundamental of how this happened. Um, As an example, I'm really scared of heights, like really scared of heights. And I used to go kind of cliff jumping or outdoor rock climbing, and I once rappelled down a 30-meter cliff. Um, And how this kind of relates is I originally was too scared to speak up in meetings. So we'd have these technical meetings, and as the DevOps person on the call, it would be like, hey, can we talk about the infrastructure? I'd be like, yeah, of course we can. But then I'd like kind of freeze up. So I kind of decided that the best way to get over that fear of speaking was to do something a little bit bigger and just kind of one-up my fear. I actually did a lunch and learn next. From there, I actually went on to, well, I did the lunch and learn and a coworker kind of reached out like, hey, you did a great job talking. I hope you don't mind, but I referred you to speak at a conference. At this point, it was kind of like, okay, Um, that's a a big difference from like an 80 person engineering team to a 1000 person conference. But you know, I promised I'd submit the CFP and see how it goes. And um, a thing I had in my mind going into it was I thought it would be kind of like the summits where, you know, maybe you have some breakout rooms, everybody kind of splits up. There's, you know, vendor halls. And so I was like, oh, a thousand people divided by four minus the people that probably can't make it that time slot or they're, you know, at the vendor hall. Uh, that was absolutely not the case. I did get my CFP accepted, and I told the organizer at the time, and he just kind of went. Jackie, you're a main stage speaker. Like you will have the entire conference. And it was just like,
2: oh,
1: that is literally like <laughs> so much more than I expected. And so kind of from there I went and I did this, uh, I did a meetup um, that my dad actually showed up and it's a fun recording. Like I open up with hi dad and we did this conference. And yeah, my takeaway from this is kind of like, this is all still as a DevOps engineer. Um, and the kind of takeaway here is to kind of just, you know, take it one step at a time and push your boundaries, but make sure you're setting yourself up for success. Going straight from being scared of meetings to the conference on its own would have been way too much. And what something nice at the conference did was they actually had uh, speaker coaches come in for first time speakers. So there was a group of us that signed up for it and we had coaching going into it. And that helped so much coming out of DevOps days. I was now a speaker. I did my first conference and I went to a bunch of other conferences that year. I went to Velocity and Collision and KubeCon and I met all kinds of really awesome people and they all had really cool things to say. And just the more I learned about, I guess, DevRel and kind of this community that people have that's just so welcoming and it's so focused on teaching and guiding, which is something I had felt was missing in my tech experience so far. I really wanted that community. And the more I kind of looked into it, the more I was like, maybe I want to do this. This sounds really cool. Like, I really like solving the DevOps problems. I like writing the code, but I also really like sharing it so that other people can have a chance to learn and assess their pain points. And I can also learn, too, because people give me feedback about, oh, I solved that this way. I just thought the whole space was really cool and kind of loved that kind of bridging the gaps and big picture view and just sense of community.
0: That is an awesome, awesome story. Thank you, Jackie. Like I love how you went from, you know, like I don't really like speaking up in meetings or whatever. And then you did the lunch and learn. And then you went on to do the conference and your main stage speaker. Like that is awesome. That is super, super awesome. And so after that, you kind of just, you know, you you found this great interest in being a developer advocate. So then you end up finding a role and then I guess the rest is history, right? Yeah. So there was there
1: was this little gap in there where um, I kind of tweeted about it and I was like, Hey, I might want to get into this, but I, I don't really know what I'm signing up for. And um, the DevRel community on Twitter was great. Like tons of people answered. They gave like opportunities. Um, three people volunteered to do like a call with me to kind of talk through what their role looked like and, you know, maybe some advice. And from there, I had a friend in the industry who referred me and was like, I think you should apply to HashiCorp as a DA. I'm kind of like, I'm a small town girl from like rural Ontario. Toronto's already pretty big city life for me. The idea of moving to a San Francisco company was pretty scary, never mind a company that is like the foundation of a bunch of things that I used as a DevOps engineer. Like, I used Terraform and a bunch of our products. So, the idea of kind of applying to HashiCorp was like, ah, maybe in five years, like not right now, I'm not ready. I don't want to botch my chance of maybe going there. And he kind of actually had to talk me out of it. And I've joked about this so much since I started, but my cover letter was basically a love letter. Like I tried to write it professional and just couldn't. So kind of out of that, I came into being a dev- or <laughs> being a developer advocate. Um, and I'm mentioning this because I think it's important to give that context of like, outside it, it does look like it's all history, right? It just kind of happened and it was bam, bam, bam. And now we're here. But, um, behind the scenes, I was really scared. Like I almost talked myself out of this opportunity because I thought it was way too good to be true, especially for where I was at the time. Like, how am I going to go to this dream job in a role I've never actually done? Like I've only spoke on stage like once. So yeah,
0: (laughs) I can, I can completely relate. And I think a lot of, a lot of listeners can too, you know, there's been a lot of talk around imposter syndrome and that sort of thing. And I don't want us to derail our conversation. Maybe you and I will, you know, re- re-engage for a separate conversation, a separate show on that. But like, you know, in 2018, when I left where I was working there to go to work for um, Heptio, uh, who was, you know, a big name startup in the Kubernetes space, I was just like, man, there's no way I'm going to get a job there. That's just like insane. These people, it's founded by the co-creators of Kubernetes. I mean, they've got rock stars, da-da-da-da, whatever, right? And so I almost same thing. I almost didn't apply. I didn't even bother to pursue the opportunity, but I did thankfully. And they did hire me. And, and, and so, you know, like I said, AKA the rest is history. Right. Um, but no, I think it is important to call that out for the listeners to know that like you have to step outside your comfort zone and you know, it's not always, I mean, it's stepping outside your comfort zone, so it's not going to be comfortable. Right.
1: Exactly. It's hard and it takes a lot of energy and support to do. Um, I was very grateful. I had an amazing group of a whole group of friends and colleagues who supported me through this, and I'm really happy they kind of poked me like, hey, do it, hey, do it, because I really was like not sure I was going to do it. Um, it just seemed like way too much, and I didn't want to get my hopes up and be like really disappointed, so.
0: Absolutely, thank goodness for our good friends who help us grow. So, um, you know, now that you are a developer advocate, And you're doing this on a regular basis. You know, what what excites you the most about being a developer advocate? Like what really, you know, just like, yeah, gets me excited.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting point to talk about. Because when I started was January 2020. And, um, you know, that's when everything changed with the pandemic. So I came in having built up this idea of what being a DA was going to be. I thought, you know, it would be glamorous. I would be traveling to these conferences and cities and speaking and meeting all kinds of people. I was going to go to Amsterdam for the first time for my first HashiConf EU, and you know, 2020 happened. <laughs> so that changed a lot um, coming into it. It was a lot of new things to learn, um, and something that I think has stayed the same with both of those sets of expectations for excitement is, you know, as a DevOps engineer, I felt like my work was kind of like a 2D side scroller game. Like you, you can go up or down. You can make some choices that impact how you reach your goal. There's always kind of like, you know, in Mario, there's always like that flag at the end that you're working towards. And in that role, that often felt like production deployments or go lives for new products or securing things. Now that I'm in DevRel, it feels more like an open world kind of game where like my, you know, my quest is to learn things and to help other people learn things and to get feedback from the community. But the way I go about that isn't so strict. So I've gotten to work on some really cool things. I get to work in the space I love and You know, I got to hack together a video game last year and then present in another video game. And it was one of the best experiences I've had so far. So that's kind of long, but there's a lot of things about it that excite me.
0: No, that's fair. I mean, you know, sometimes you just, there's a lot there and that's okay. And I think the whole, I I have to say like your analogy of the 2D side scroller in the open world is just, it's, it's just spot on. I mean, that's just a great analogy. So thank you for that. Um, All right. So let's, let's turn the coin over and... Let's talk about what are the things uh, about being a developer advocate that, like, you don't get excited about. You know, oh, if somebody suck. were out there listening to the show and saying, hey, I think I might be interested in being a DA, think about this as your opportunity to do what some of those other folks on Twitter did for you and kind of give you an idea of the role. So let's give them the flip side. What, you know, what is, like, not great about it?
1: This is a tough one to answer because I think it's, it's one of those ones where you kind of answer it and you're like, oh, this is, like, something I hold very closely. Um, one of the hardest things I think about being in DevRel is that most of what you do, it's its out there, it's in the open, anyone on the internet can kind of come and comment. And that's, you know, kind of like a double-edged sword. So sometimes it's great and you meet all kinds of great people. And sometimes there's people that they're just not going to be happy, no matter what you say, they're going to kind of want to combat it. Um, you know, they might tell you that you're only at the table for diversity. This happened recently, feels bad, but um, stuff like that, it, it can be really tough to deal with. And it's been nice having a supportive team, but you know, as somebody who's kind of nervous, it, it's really hard. And I think something else would be that, I guess the flow of tasks you do, it doesn't always feel as balanced. Um, just to go back to my previous analogy, you, know, you probably write some code, you probably test it in a dev- development environment, you get some feedback, you promote it, you push it. And there's kind of, there's like a rhythm of like planning and implementing. And sometimes in DevRel, I have a rhythm and sometimes it's like, oh, I've got three CFPs due today, but I also have another writing task due. And then I'm going to have like a handful of technical tasks due. And that can be kind of hard to balance. I have ADHD. So sometimes it's very difficult for me to do tasks that feel the same. I had like seven writing tasks for the last two weeks back to back. And it was just like, oh, I just really want to write some code right now. <laughs> like,
0: I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay, cool. That's, I mean, that's, that's important to know though. I mean, like some, some people really like being in that sort of very defined space and having a very defined workflow. And that's where, that's where they feel comfortable. That's where they thrive. And then there are other people who, who, you know, kind of, you know, again, using the open world, you know, analogy, they just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to go off and do this thing. And, and, you know, like my boss has told me, go do this thing, but how I go about doing that thing's up to me. And that's the way I prefer to work and da da da, Right. So I think that's good, good to know. All right, so we're going to squeeze in one last question here before I have to let you go, Jackie. Tell me one popular misconception about being a DA.
1: I think one of the popular misconceptions is actually a pretty fair one. Um, People don't really know what we do. And I think similar to DevOps, it's one of those roles that sometimes can be a catch-all and it changes definition company to company. Um, A lot of times, you know, we might be told that maybe we're sales or maybe we're marketing. And like I said, I think that heavily depends on where you are.
0: Okay. That's fair. I mean, there's a lot of jobs out there that, you know, aren't necessarily super obvious to people. And it sounds like maybe Dev Advocate is one of those, right? It depends on the company, depends on the team, depends on your boss, depends on the technology, and therefore could vary from uh, from company to company. Okay. Fair. Good enough. Well, uh, Jackie, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, you are a super engaging guest. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, uh, one more time, why don't you drop your Twitter handle uh, for our listeners um to follow you in case they're interested
1: perfect yeah it's uh at devops jackie great thank you so much jackie thank you so much for having me today it's been a joy
0: another guest joining me on today's show is jeremy meese jeremy how are you doing today i'm great uh thanks for uh, thanks for having me hey well i am i really appreciate you being on the show so why don't you just take a minute and sort of introduce yourself, tell the listeners all about, you know, who you are, and what you do and that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, cool. So as was mentioned, uh, my name is Jeremy. Uh, I have spent probably the last 25 years uh, in IT and, you know, with in some form or fashion, the last 12 has been part of you know technical communities and developer relations. Uh, currently, I am the uh, director. Uh, in charge of Devrel and community at CircleCI. When I'm not doing that and living all things uh, community and Devrel, have a wife and kids and and dogs, uh, two beagles that profess that they love me. That probably changes on a day to day basis, but or moment to moment, depending on if I'm feeding them or not. Uh, that includes the kids. But yeah, and you know, I've I've been like I said, I've been around uh, uh, doing Devrel for quite a while and 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 love it. Awesome, thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate
0: that. Uh, I know what you mean about dogs, um, so I, I have a couple myself, and yeah, I know I know exactly how you feel. Um, so why don't we jump into the discussion real quick and just, you, you know, you take a minute um, or so to to tell uh, me and and the listeners, you know, what does developer advocacy or DevRel what does that mean to you personally?
3: Yeah, sure. So I think there's probably some people that that might be new to the term, uh, and and so DevRel or developer relations is it's literally like if you take those those two words, it, it really it, it really is literally about building relationships with developer community. Uh, that takes on different forms uh, depending on you know what's your product, what the service, whatever that thing is. Uh, so if I could you know probably distill it down into maybe what the core is about you know developer advocacy itself is it's really being the advocate for developers. Or using your product service or thing uh, back to areas in your company or organization. So like uh, product or engineering, uh, sometimes even marketing uh, you know, really any of the, any of the areas of the company about the developer's experience, any suggestions they might have and, and so forth. And then it's turning that back and being the advocate for your company back to the developer. So it's kind of at, at any point you're probably representing uh, you know, the company and the community. Uh, and you kind of have to have both of their interests in mind at the same time.
0: All right. And if, you know, one of the things about the show is that I, I like to try to, you know, our, our the whole premise of our show is, is helping IT professionals grow and evolve and adapt new technologies. And, you know, we're in an industry that changes constantly, technology changes constantly. And so right. I always like to sort of bring in some practical advice, you know, hey, if you're trying to learn technology X or you're trying to be, this particular thing, you know, what, what are some real things you do? So along those lines, like if somebody is listening to the show and they're thinking, hey, you know, I've thought about becoming a developer advocate, you know, what, what, are, what are some of the, you know, key skills, right? You know, that they should, they should have, right? Uh, you know, distill it down to a top two or something, you know, whatever, right? Um, that, that would help <laughs> yeah. them decide, you know, hey, yeah, that describes me or no, that's not really my thing.
3: Uh, I think the first thing is uh, develop thick skin. I don't mean that in the uh, like tongue-in-cheek way, but I think there is an element of uh, when you're advocating for a company and advocating for a community, you're gonna have to weather a lot of different feedback, um, and to not take a lot of it personal, I think is is one thing. And it it you know, and until you ask that question, I, that really probably wouldn't have been one that I would have said, but it just kind of popped in, and I think it's it's really important because you have to you know, part of part of all of this is having empathy. And really feeling and understanding what the developers who are using your product, your company's product, your service, whatever it might be, and be able to really carry that back. And sometimes the developers that are the the people that are providing the feedback back to you, uh, they're very passionate about it. And it's been not uh, a few times, it's been many times that I've had uh, conversations with people um, who were very passionately against the product that I was working with or the company that I worked for. Uh, And you had to kind of take, take a step back and and really understand where that passion is coming from, from them uh, and, and be able to, to bring that back to the company, but also not internalize it yourself. If that, if that makes sense, I think that's one thing that really, really stands out. I think probably the second one, if I were to pick two is, Gosh, I, I, I the second one. I think the the, the second skill I think would be, um, you know, being able to speak to a, a a group of people, and by that I don't mean crowds of a thousand or two thousand. I think even bring that down to the smaller kind of micro level of, you know, to a group of five or ten people. Be able to to e- express, you know, and I hate to say elevator pitch here, but express the thing that your company. And product does in a short period of time, um, and be able to you know distill that information to them, and then um, uh, you know be able to quickly get to feedback. I think it's just important to be able to to communicate communicate well to a small group of people, and then be able to sk- level that up as you go.
0: So we need you know if you're interested in becoming a developer advocate, right, or working in um, developer relations, you need you know to not 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 take things too personally. You're going to get feedback. You're going to get criticism. You're going to get, you know, yeah. people responding. Were frustrated because they couldn't figure out the product or something like that, or they tried to do something and they didn't know how. And you know, it's it's your job to help them figure that out, right? So, you know, um, but then also being able to communicate effectively. Not not the you know big crowds necessarily, although that might be involved. But really, right. you know, one on one, one on two, one on three, whatever. Being effective in communicating the kind of things you need to communicate to folks is that accurately sort of yeah, capture? for sure.
3: It? for sure yeah empathy if i you know put it into one it's like empathy is just such an important piece sure absolutely i
0: mean you're working with folks who are trying to use your products and you know they you're trying to help them and you got to like be able to like okay i see where you're coming from i understand what's going on you know let me see if i can help you get to a point where you're being successful and 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 moving forward now let's let's flip that on the on the other side right and and look at it from your perspective you know, what are some things that don't matter if you're a developer advocate? Like what what are what are the skills that don't impact your ability to be effective? Right. Like somebody might be thinking, you know, I'm I'm some, you know, whatever. I have this particular skill, I'm a outstanding programmer, I'm a you know, dynamic public speaker, whatever. Like, what are the things that don't really matter? Um, and, and especially like what are the, what are, what, what's the popular belief? Like contrary to popular belief, you know, what are those things that don't
3: really matter to be an effective developer advocate? Uh, it's a tough one. There's, a, there's this line of thought within developer advocacy, uh, the DevRel kind of piece and even community, you know, it, probably every month and it hasn't happened over the last, so, you know, probably by the time this uh, airs, it probably will have gone around the Twitterverse again. Uh, is this, do you have to be technical or do you not? to be a developer advocate. And that's and that's a tricky tricky question because it, to to answer your question I I think it's it's contrary to popular belief you don't have to be technical and and you have to really kind of figure out what people mean when they say technical because for some people and for some products you've got to really um understand like if you're if you're working with AI or you're working with some statistics or you're working with you know you're you're selling some Uh, Something in Rust, like you probably need to have a good understanding of Rust uh, in order to really be able to work with the developer community, but being technical does not, by itself, I don't feel, mean that you're uh, a great developer advocate. I feel like uh, it is a small piece, and depending on the product, could be larger than others, but... It is not the most important thing. I think it go back to my you know, like the important thing is is that empathy being able to take back the feedback to the company and really embody that from the customer back to the company um, and And so technical skills don't necessarily have to be that uh, that top thing. Got it.
0: okay, all right, and I think that is you know that is a, a real thing, like people think that developer advocates are just these you know super, super incredibly, you know, deep technical people. And it sounds like, you know, you're saying, well, yeah, you need to have some, you know, some knowledge in certain areas, depending on what you're trying to do, but it doesn't necessarily
3: mean you're considered, you know, some sort of like uh, incredible SME, right? Right, well, and and, and don't get me wrong, like there are some amazing uh, developer advocates out there that have been doing this a while that are, you know, extremely technical, and, you know, they're, they're top of their game there. And they're also top of their game in developer advocacy. So I don't want to take anything away from that. But I, I think there's, there's a piece that we kind of gatekeep. I mean, there's tons of gatekeeping going on, but I think in, when, in terms of DevRel and, and dev advocacy kind of piece, is we do kind of gatekeep and say, well, you have to be this. And, and I really kind of push back against that. Um, I feel like there's certainly opportunities to be highly technical and still uh be a good dev advocate. And, and I don't want to take anything away from that. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a specialty in the sense that not not a lot of, I guess the way I'd maybe say it this way is a lot of companies I've talked to over the years, when they we have the conversation of, you know, do they need developer advocacy, you know, or not, is their comment is, well, we can just have our engineers go do that. Our engineers can just go out to meetups, and they can get the feedback, and they can go and write the blog posts, and they can do documentation, and and they can do the the big conference talks. And my kind of pushback on that is that's that's a that's a very small number that not only are able to be effective at their job as being an engineer of the product, but also be able to do all of those other things. Uh, and so it's it is a it is kind of a, a niche, I guess, is probably a good way to say it.
0: All right. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Great. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Jeremy. I really appreciate that. Hey, um, before we wrap up, do you want to just, uh, you know, share with the listeners your contact information? Maybe they want to follow you on Twitter or something like that.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, so you can uh, you can follow me on the Twitters uh, at IamJerdog. Uh, it's a long story. It's probably a podcast in and of itself. But uh, you can follow me on, on Twitter at I am Jerdog, And I think that's probably the only, uh, uh not on the Facebook. So yeah, uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, you know, connect. We can talk about DevRel. Uh, follow the hashtag DevRel and uh, hashtag community. I'm probably posting stuff to that. But yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. Have a great one. The third guest on uh, this month's episode of the Full Stack Journey is coming uh, to all of our listeners from Auckland, New Zealand, and it is Josh Wolf. Josh, how are you
2: doing? Hello to the internets. I'm um, great, thank you. Thanks for asking.
0: Well, hey, thank you for being willing to join and for uh, you know helping coordinate the not insignificant time gap between New Zealand and the US where I'm based.
2: We're in the future over here, yo.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Why don't you take a minute and just sort of um, introduce yourself to the listeners.
2: Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do. Love to. Thank you. So my name is Josh Wolf, and I'm a developer advocate at Komunda, which is a business process automation company headquartered out of Berlin, Germany. Uh, It's an open source company. Open source is super important to me. In terms of my background, I'm originally from New Zealand. Lived in various places around the world, uh, South America for a few years, and uh, Australia for nearly a couple of decades. And I spent ten years working at Red Hat and open source. So, open source really flows in my veins. Um, I started programming back in the 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 eighties, actually, and then uh, professionally in the nineties. And I've pretty much done everything in the you know in the in the technology stack, you know all the way from like telephone first level support to being a manager and even into sales and consulting and so now I'm like uh developer advocacy is, is where i'm at
0: that's uh that's quite a career journey uh I may have to hit you up for a separate episode since you know some of the times when we're on the show we we talk about career transitions and how you you know how people have gone through you know sometimes fairly significant career transitions from one technology area to an entirely different one or from one role to another. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised if I reach out to you for another show at some point.
2: Yeah, I'd love to talk about that.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. But for, to, for this episode, we're talking about uh, developer advocacy or DevRel. Mm. Um, and one of the questions that I'm asking pretty much all of the guests that are joining together for the show is, what does that mean to you? Like, what is developer, ad- developer advocacy to Josh Wolf?
2: Yeah, great question. So to me, developer advocacy is a a two-sided coin. Um, On on one side, I'm advocating for the technology and the company to developers, to the developer community. And then on the other side of the coin, I'm developing to the company, which means to like engineering, product management uh, on behalf of the developer community, like bringing, I go out into the community Empower and enable people in the community to, you know, understand our product, to utilize it, to be successful with it, to win using it. And then I take the feedback from the community back inside the company, and I'll sit in engineering meetings and say, "Hey, uh, folks, this this isn't working. You know, we need to to do something about this because developers are running into these problems." So I'm kind of like uh, advocating on both sides for for the developer community uh, in the company and for the company out there with the developers.
0: Okay, that's cool. I think it's really important, um, you know, to kind of underscore that two way piece. Like, I think a lot of people see the outbound side of developer advocacy, right? You know, doing things Mm. like, you know, blogs or videos or speaking at events or, you know, whatever the else creating sample code or examples of how to use the product. But it may not be immediately obvious sort of that inbound advocacy as well, where you're taking from the users and passing it back into the company.
2: Yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not a shell, you know, for a technology company. I'm a champion, you know, champion for the engineers in the developer community. And then I'm the champion of the developers in the engineering teams.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so what excites you most about being a, in developer advocacy? Like what, what really, you know, just like fires you up?
2: I think a lot of it is that, um, that connecting communications piece and, and being, um, you know, an advocate or a champion, you know, a champion is one who fights on behalf of another. And that's what an advocate is as well. It's a, it's someone who advocates, uh, on behalf of, of someone or something. And yeah, that really fires me up the, the opportunity to, to make a difference and to, um, empower, you know, communities on both sides of that equation empower the engineers with the feedback that's coming from the community and then empower the community with like the knowledge that i can get from engineering so it's kind of like uh i think it was was it mercury who brought the uh fire to the earth or prometheus it's kind of like that you know i go into engineering then bring something cool out into the community and then i'm out in the community and then i discover some use case that they have never tested in engineering and i can bring that back to engineering so it's kind of like that i get to be a uh, like a, a, a traveler carrying valuable things to these communities.
0: That's ah, a neat analogy. I like that. Um, so let's put that on the other side then. What it excites you least about what you do on a day-to-day basis? What is that thing you're like, oh, I got to go do this again?
2: Oh, dealing with people. <laughs> you know, sometimes, because I, I got like a real deep technical background and, and I actually maintain the, uh, the open source Node.js client for, for our process engine. And uh, I just love to dive into code and just like, you know, it's it's all manageable. It's uh, it's something that I can just focus on by myself. Uh, whereas conversations are they can be hard, you know, they can be challenging. They can take energy, and and you just never know how they're going to go. At least with code, you can kind of like uh, you could say force it to do things, but uh, you can't use force with uh, with people. So it requires a whole different set of skills. So. What do I like the least about? It? I mean, that's challenging. And then I think it's like just dealing kind of with my own uncertainty in a lot of those conversations or my own impatience with certain types of people. Because if I'm, if I'm just in my like daily life with friends and stuff, I'll, I'll choose the friends that I have and they'll be of a certain type of person, certain personality, avoid the others. But as a developer advocate, I'm out there in these communities and I don't get to pick and choose the personalities that I deal with. So that that's, I think it's, it's, I'll say it's the thing that I enjoy the least about it, but it is kind of like going to the gym where you go to the gym and you do this exercise and you're like, Oh man, this is real uncomfortable, but it actually is good for me and causes like growth to occur that otherwise I'd miss out on.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good thing to call out in some of the conversations I've had, with others about this function within the IT industry, it's almost like these things are, it's, it's like a double-edged sword, right? It's, it's both, the thing that excites you the most is connecting with people and seeing them connect with the technology that you're, you're talking about or whatever cool feature it is, but yet it's also at the same time that thing is like connecting with people can also be the real challenge, right? It's a thing that is challenging and also brings sort of the greatest amount of satisfaction.
2: Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, 100%.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, one last question before we wrap up, Josh, and that is, tell me, from, you know, sort of in your opinion, what is the most popular misconception about being a developer advocate?
2: Um, I think it's kind of like I couldn't be an engineer, so I'm a developer advocate. You know, it's kind of like those, what is it, those who can't do teach? And, um, you know, as a developer advocate, a lot of it is um, educating people. So, Uh, educate. Yeah. There's an education piece. So I think that's a misconception that um, developer, uh, developer advocates are failed engineers. Um, I think it's, it's almost more kind of like that as, as an engineer, you can be just like on the code, like all the time. But I think for someone who becomes a developer advocate, it's kind of like, we love to code, but we also just can't stop ourselves from talking to people. And so, you know, if you're just doing pure engineering, you end up like distracting people a lot because you want to talk. And then it's like, you know what? Um, that would be really great as a developer advocate because you can code and talk to people. So I think it's a misconception, yeah, that, that developer advocacy is for failed engineers. I think it's for engineers who, who like to talk to people.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's important to know because one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I really focus on in the show is helping listeners sort of identify where their areas of growth are where they might want to make a career transition and you know if you're listening and you're like hey i'm i'm a heavy-duty engineer and i love engineering but i also love talking maybe this is something they should be exploring as a potential future career opportunity
2: hundred percent also the other way if you love talking but you like got quite a technical bent as well then uh, you know you can come at it from that angle too
0: yeah yeah okay that's a great point awesome well, thanks so much, Josh. Before we wrap up, um, do you want to just share sort of like, you know, online contact information in case folks want to follow you on social media or something like that?
2: Yeah, you can find me at uh, joshwolf.com. That's dot fcom That's my, uh, my website and you can get my socials from there.
0: All right. Awesome. Listeners will have those links in the show notes. So if you didn't quite catch that while you're listening to the show, no worries. It'll be in the show notes for you to get later on. Josh, again, thanks so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Awesome. Thank you. And wrapping up today's show on uh, developer advocacy or DevRel, uh, I am joined by Ted Neward. Ted, how are you today?
4: I'm doing well. How are you doing, sir?
0: I am doing very well. Thank you so much. Hey, I really appreciate you joining uh, me on the show as we're talking about developer advocacy and we've talked with a few other guests, and kind of getting various perspectives. I think this will be really interesting to the listeners. Um, before we get into our conversation though, uh, why don't you just take a minute and sort of introduce yourself to the audience? Maybe if you have social media links that you want to share so people can follow you or whatever, uh, feel free to do that.
4: Sure. My name is Ted Neward. I currently work as the Director of Technology Culture over at Quicken Loans, aka Rocket Mortgage. And um, probably the most I've been in the industry for 30 years, so I could spend an entire half hour just rattling off my resume, which would be boring. But the most pertinent part of the story is the fact that I've been at kind of all levels of the whole developer advocacy, developer relations stack. I've, you know, I've done the DevRel thing myself, uh, particularly working as an independent for a number of years, going out, speaking conferences, uh, writing articles, blogging, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, I'm on Twitter, at Ted Neward, or I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Ted Neward. i um, trying to think. I do have a website and a blog, which I don't keep up to date as often as I would like. Uh, so blogs.tedneward.com or www.newardassociates.com if people really want to read through the, the full list of stuff. But then after having done that as an independent about five years ago, I got hired at Smartsheet to build out the developer relations team and then when i started the technology culture department inside of ql i uh, i hired the you know i hired the leader for that team and then he turned around and hired the people on that team so i've been pretty much all over the stack including back in the day before we called it developer relations i was kind of tickled when we finally gave it a name
0: awesome well thank you for for being on the show i, I we're really looking forward to hearing your perspective on some of these questions given your experience at various you know, levels of, of what we now call, you know, developer advocacy or DevRel. So let, let's start with just a, a quick discussion on, you know, what does uh, DevRel or developer advocacy, what does it mean to you personally? Like how would you describe that and what is it, you know, sort of, what's, what's, how would you encapsulate that to, a, to someone else who doesn't understand what this is or wants to know more about it?
4: So in some respects, um, you know, developer relations, I think, is you know, pretty descriptive as a term. You are an when you are a developer relations person. When you are a developer advocate, your job is to relate to the developers of the world. For many people, the definition of the term means that my job is to go off and sell you whatever particular software product that my company is creating. So if you're you know if you're DevRel at Microsoft, if you're DevRel at Google, it's often for one of the product groups, and your job is to go and sell people. That's where we had the original term developer evangelism. You were evangelizing your company's product. And that's why I like the fact that we've sort of pivoted away from that particular use of the word. Because in many respects, developer advocacy or advocating on behalf of developers, and I believe it encompasses both internal and external to your company. The, the DevRel individual, the developer advocate, is really, a, should be, in my mind, a bi directional conduit between developers on the outside of the company and developers on the inside of the company. So, for example, when we were at Smartsheet, uh, the DevRel team was responsible for our lunch and learns program. So, you know, every week, every Thursday, uh, we would buy pizza for people in the office and we would have somebody from the technology team stand up and talk for an hour about something that they were interested in. It, you know, really, we didn't have any. It didn't have to be something that the company cared about. It could be literally anything. Uh, we did some sessions on Kotlin, and this was like four years ago, before Kotlin was really widespread uh, Android, you know, development language. And we talked about some. Um, You know, we talked about Swift. We talked about uh, some other interesting frameworks. We also did some things on, you know, very, very business specific things. Sometimes the product owners would talk about what they were working on. But for the most part, you know, we weren't just going out and speaking at conferences. We were actually, you know, also relating to the developers inside the company. And that's where I think the real power of it comes because now it's not just an arm of sales and marketing as many companies like to use it. You know, if you're DevRel at like JetBrains, for example, yeah, you are kind of an arm of sales and marketing because part of your job is to make people aware of the JetBrains tools. But that's only one facet. And I think to keep it in those terms really undersells the capabilities that a DevRel team can have uh, in terms of really influencing and growing the company as a whole,
0: you know, I've heard the the bidirectional statement from a couple of the guests um, on this show. But what I hadn't really considered that you highlighted there is um, a lot of the discussions around the bidirectional nature tend to focus on pulling data or pulling information and perspectives and stuff from the developer user community back into product engineering, right? But oh, yeah. you highlighted that in a slightly different way, and sort of like. Also advocating or, you know, I'm not a big fan of the term evangelizing either, but, uh, you know, communicating and building relationship within the company, not just to product engineering, but also just to other parts of the company, which I think is an interesting uh, perspective.
4: Yeah, I mean, to me, part of that is because you have an opportunity as a developer advocate. You are out and about. You are talking with some of the best and the brightest in the industry. Why wouldn't you? take opportunities to try to bring some of that back inside the company to the people that you work with. I mean, realistically, the goal of the technology culture team inside of Quicken Loans is to help our people, help our technologists become the very best people in the world. Um, You know, yes, even even if we were to make the statement that we are currently the very best people in the world, that requires constant care and upkeep. You have to constantly be looking at what's going on out there, and when some of you know some of the DevRel team, when when Jason Bach, Cassandra Ferris, you know Chris Woodruff, who's the leader of that team, when they're out at a conference and they're in, you know, they're having a speaker dinner with some of the other folks there, and this, you know, they happen to be chatting with the speaker who says, "Oh yeah, yeah, there's this really really interesting thing about .NET, which Quicken Loans internally uses a lot of .NET." Um, why wouldn't they want, why wouldn't I want them? Why wouldn't our developers want Cassandra, Chris, uh, Woody, et cetera, to bring that information back and then to bring with it, hey, let's bring that speaker into the building to talk to our developers about some of these things. I mean, this is really how a DevRel team can really amplify the experience of the developers within the company to be the best they can be.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad you highlighted that. And I think it brings another sort of dimension to the bi-directional aspect of it. Um, so one of the other things I'd like to, to have you kind of touch on, Ted, before we um, have to wrap up um, and not, you know, drag our listeners through too long of an episode, but um, is, you know, from, from a sort of a hiring manager or director level perspective, because all the rest of the guests were, you know, sort of in the trenches doing what you've done in the past, but you also have this experience of, you know, hiring folks to do this sort of thing. You know, what what would you look for in an ideal candidate if somebody is out there saying, hey, I, I really like this you know, developer relations, developer advocacy thing. I think I'd like to get a job there. You know what? As a hiring manager, what what are you looking for in candidates and what are you not looking for in candidates? So when I spun
4: up the DevRel team at Smartsheet uh, and I, I was talking with the recruiters there and was talking you know, because they had never hired. They'd never heard of the term, actually, when we started that team. I said, fundamentally, a good developer advocate needs to be able to do three things equally well. They need to be able to code because at the end of the day, you're relating to developers and developers, you know, they need to, you know, they want to see code. They want to hear code. They want to talk to people who have immersed themselves in code. And I use the term code here pretty loosely. I mean, code can also mean you know, they're familiar with data, right? Data scientists, they're familiar with, you know, some of the machine learning and so on and so forth. Even if it doesn't require a traditional developer language per se, I, I, you know, growing up as a software developer to means, to me, coding as a verb means the act of being technical. So they need to be able to code, but they also need to be able to speak and they need to be able to write because every bit as much as Being technical is a part of the job requirement. Being communicative is the other part of the job requirement. And so when we were looking at people who were potential developer relations, developer advocates, we looked, for example, at did they have a blog or did they have other examples of of a high degree of, of communication, right? Because if I get the world's most brilliant coder up on stage, but they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to captivate an audience. They don't know how to tell a story with their slides. That's not going to be a successful developer advocate. They may be a very successful developer, but that does not make them a successful developer advocate. And that does not mean that you have to be the most senior developer either. As a matter of fact, um, one of the folks that I hired for the Smartsheet DevRel team He'd never held a technical position before in his life. And he actually had a background in marketing. And it was a very, very successful hire. So, you know, I don't, I think in some cases, when, when I listen to people talk about what do I need to do to get ready for a developer relations interview, they see a lot of people stressing about the coding part of it. That's part of it, but that's not the entirety of it. Can you tell a story? Can you take me through a, a, you know, can you take me on a path, on a narrative arc where you, you start with, for example, here's a problem that I ran into and here's what I learned along the way. And here are the things that you can walk out of this presentation with so that now you can short circuit all the way from where I was to where I am now. That's a that's a very, very powerful uh, thing to be able to do and you know do that in speaking, do that in writing. Both of those in many ways are two sides of the same coin. And for people who are interested in amping their their presentation game, there is a book I cannot recommend highly enough called Presentation Patterns. It's a pattern style catalog where people, uh, where the authors basically describe some of the patterns in pattern form, problem, context, solution, consequences, various presentation elements. One of the things they talk about in that book is the notion of a narrative arc. The idea that uh, I want to not just put up a slide with a bunch of facts on it, but actually start you and say, here is the problem. Here is some of the context. Here's what you can do. Uh, here's how you solve that particular problem. Here's how you learn to get past those blockers. And then here are the consequences, pro and con, as to what that solution creates. Because not everything is a one size fits all. And if you can do that in on, you know, you can do that on a on a spoken basis. If you can do that on stage, it, yeah, you you will be an easy hire for anybody looking for a developer advocate.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Ted. So, real quick, one last question. What would you say is the most popular misconception about being a developer advocate?
4: The most popular misconception about being a developer advocate? um, That it's, well, I think there are several, but probably the most popular one on the part of people getting into it is that it's going to be all fun and parties all the time, that it involves going off and just standing up on stage and speaking. Because, you know, that's a part of it. That's probably the most uh, easily recognizable part of it. But in many respects, that's just the tip of the iceberg, because then part of it is then meetings, following up with some of the people that you've connected with at the conference. And when they ask you questions about the company for which you work, uh, you, have to, you, know, you have to follow up with them. You have to connect with them. You have to figure out how uh, your company relates to what they are doing. Or how you can uh, bring sort of the, the, the company into this conversation. A lot of people go into DevRel because it really seems very personal. Oh, that's me up on stage. I'm growing my own brand. You are, but it also has to come back to the company at some point. And because at the end of the day, the company is paying the salary. So it's fun to go off and do all of these conferences and whatnot, that's, you know, it's still work, but that seems to be the most fun part. You go to all the parties, hang out with all the cool kids, but you also have a lot of legwork that's done behind the scenes that people at conferences don't see until they hit you up with an email or with a question. I would strongly encourage people to, you know, if you're getting ready to interview for a position at Google, Microsoft, Netflix, any of these other companies that have DevRel openings, I would strongly consider how would you and your presentations relate to the company for which you would like to work, because you need to bring value to the company just as much as you bring value to yourself in this particular role.
0: Yeah, it's easy to see the, you know, the standing up on stage and giving presentations. It's not so easy to see the background work of creating those presentations and writing the sample code and answering questions and that sort of thing, you know, the back end stuff that often gets overlooked.
4: Yep, it's it's a lot of work doing this job, uh, and sometimes it seems glamorous. Uh, but as somebody whose sister is a professional actor, uh, has done a number of, of done a number of parts that people may have actually seen her in. Acting itself is a hard job, and so uh, don't be fooled by the glitz and the glamour and and all of the fame that seems to surround us in the Devrel space. It's it's it can be a grind.
0: Very good advice. Very good advice. Thank you, Ted. All right. Wrapping up now, Ted, you want to just remind folks where they can find you online?
4: A couple of different places, at Ted Neward on Twitter, uh, Ted Neward on LinkedIn. And I have a blog, blogs.tedneward.com. I have a uh, professional website dating from my independent days, which I keep alive because it's got a list of all of my presentations on it. That's www.newardassociates.com. And that's pretty much it. I stay off the Instagram, the TikToks, the everything else, because I just don't have the time anymore. I really
0: don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Awesome. Great conversation, Ted. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And that's a wrap for episode 53. Once again, thanks so much for listening to the Full Stack Journey podcast. I am your host, Scott Lowe. You can reach me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Low. Or you can uh, exchange tweets with the podcast's account directly, which is at FSJ Podcast. Show notes and podcasts are published on the Packet Pushers website, as always, and available through a variety of syndication platforms like iTunes, Google Play Store, and others. We would love for you to take a moment and leave a review if you enjoy the show and like what you're hearing. And uh, I hope that the conversations from today's episode were helpful and useful to listeners in some way. Thanks again for listening and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening.